Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another 30 with Murdy. Today, it's a Hall of Fame discussion with my friend Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. The Hall of Fame ballot that members of the Baseball Writers Association of America will receive was released this week. Anyone getting 75% or more of the vote will be inducted officially next summer into Cooperstown. We're all pretty sure Derek Jeter will be there, and we'll wait and see if he can follow in Mariano Rivera's unprecedented footsteps with a 100% unanimous election. There are other things to discuss on the ballot, and Tyler and I will get into that here. We won't go through the entire ballot or go too far down the PED wormhole, but we will dive into Larry Walker's candidacy, as well as the Veterans Committee election, which will be announced December 9th at the winter meetings. Last year, that produced Harold Baines and Lee Smith, and it might have set off a new era of Hall of Fame election. We'll get into that, too. Just to note, neither Tyler nor I actually vote for the Hall of Fame, so we discuss this based on reporting and opinions and simple interest in the game and the process, much like many of you. I am not a member of the Baseball Writers Association because I work for a radio station, and Tyler's employer, the New York Times, does not allow it does not allow its writers to vote for any of the awards like MVP or the Hall of Fame. With that, here is my conversation on the Hall of Fame ballot with my friend Tyler Kepner. So Ty, this is kind of one of our favorite seasons. It's a separate season, I feel like, Hall of Fame season as opposed to baseball season. And I wonder if that's why we get so geared up about it and why there is so much discussion about it, because it's outside of baseball season, Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, by comparison, they announced that the weekend of the Super Bowl, and it feels like it's just a sliver of, of this giant Super Bowl event. Uh, and I know it gets a lot of attention, but it feels like it's not as much because of when it's announced. Um we're in the middle of winter and there's no baseball. Do you think this is why people care so much about it? I do. I, I think it's a great timing um, for the Hall of Fame announcement to come out because, you know, things are a little bit quiet. It's before Thanksgiving. Um, and then we get the whole winter to kind of chew on it. Um, it doesn't come out for two months. Um, you know, with two months, we don't find out who won. So there's just a lot of debate. Um, to go along with the hot stove talk, because the hot stove, especially nowadays, can be a little cold. Um, so, yeah, I think the timing of it is great. I, I never understood why the NFL just buried it in the middle of the Super Bowl week. Yeah, the uh, the big story on this ballot, uh, and the only real lock on this ballot um, of the newcomers seems to be Derek Cheater. And really, the only real lock on the whole ballot. Here's my question. After all that we finally went through with getting Mariano Rivera, 
to the 100% threshold. And I will repeat for people that you do not have a vote. So you and I, neither do I. You and I are talking. Uh, well, you have a vote. You, you're, you're not allowed to cast it because of the New York Times. I do not have a vote. So we're talking as people who are viewing the process, not involved in the process. But I wonder if there's somebody who's going to be able to justify not voting for Derek Jeter and or future guys who are clearly Hall of Famers and not getting that 100% threshold. In in this day and age, can somebody get away with justifying or uh, not voting for an automatic Hall of Famer? No, because we've already crossed that threshold with, with Rivera. Um, and I, I think, you know, before then it was always like, well, there's never been a unanimous Hall of Famer, so someone would come up with some reason. And, and last year, thankfully, nobody came up with a reason. And so now we have a... Uh, you know, we've crossed that that barrier where you know one guy has been unanimous, so so that's not an excuse anymore. Um, it doesn't seem to be a overly stuffed ballot where you have ten slam dunks, so you you manipulate it so you leave one guy off who you know is going to get elected anyway. Um, doesn't seem like one of those situations. Uh, people have their own reasons, but I you know I I understand that that's um, it's a great thing to be able to say unanimous Hall of Famer. Um, but it's, it's sort of seems that becomes the, the, uh, emphasis for a lot of people because he's going to be in one way or the other. And, and, and you have one knucklehead who, who goes off the reservation out of 430 voters or something. Oh, well, it's just one guy, but I, I, I get it. I don't, I think he will be unanimous though. Cause I think Rivera, um, set that precedent and, uh, others will follow. Yeah, and the thing about it is, you know, the plaques are all in one room. You know, there's not different rooms for different levels of voting or right. or that this guy got in by this committee and this guy got in by that or that people think that, well, he's not really in the same. Listen, I think we're all well, really well aware of baseball history that not everybody, you know, if if we were going to separate by class, Babe Ruth would be in one building by himself and everybody else would be in another. So I think we're all smart enough to know that. But for some reason, we're stuck in this age where we have to debate the worthiness or the relative ranking of everybody. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, we've, we've been in that room. You, you go in that room and, and they're, they're all equal. You're absolutely right. I mean, you're going to see plaques for people you've probably never heard of. Um, and, and, and that's fine because it's a history, historical education um, museum, and, and you know, you're going to see a plaque for Travis Jackson, and you're going to see a plaque for Epirixi, and they're going to have the same kind of, uh, you know, the same kind of stature as the plaque for Ted Williams and Jackie Robinson. So, um, you know, it's not every Hall of Famer has to be um, the best. The, 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 there are tiers in your mind within, within, these, within the Hall of Fame, but literally in the room, they're, they're all the same. So, um, yeah, not everybody has to be Mike Schmidt. <laughs> Good choice. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, and it's already started, justifying Derek Jeter's career or validating it in, you know, kind of contextualizing his career is its own sport on social media. It has been since, you know, he, he finished his playing career in the social media age um, and since retirement and now into the hall of fame age, this is its own thing. Um, I kind of get tired of the idea of having to, justify a career or pick apart little things that people say, well, he wasn't this, he wasn't that, uh, if he played somewhere else. You know, this isn't about ripping apart the context. It's about putting a career in context. 
And I just wonder why we're stuck on this thing, especially with a guy like Derek Jeter, who, sh- who shouldn't be all that polarizing a figure, but on social media seems to be. What do you think about that? Well, I think there's some, I, I think people, some people look at him and, and say, well, you know, he's the golden boy, you can do no wrong, but really, I know better than that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they they try to pick him apart, and 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 you know, you could you could point to the Marlins, uh, the job he's done with the Marlins so far, and say, ah, you know, he's, he's not doing so well now. Um, but but uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty tired act to try to to try to tear down a guy who's sixth all time in hits. I mean, whether he played for the 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 Marlins or the Padres or uh, the Twins, whoever, you're sixth all time in hits. You know, that's. That says it all, really. I mean, you, you didn't have to win any championships. If you got 3,465 hits, I mean, come on in, you know. Yeah. I, so, you know, before you even get to the fact that, oh, was he overrated on defense? Yeah, you yeah, know, probably, yeah. I mean, he, he five gold gloves, but he, you know, he didn't have great range. Okay. I mean, you know, you can find ways to, to pick someone apart, but really this is a guy who, you know, was reliably – I mean, you don't even need to say. Everybody knows. He, he got tons of hits. He stole a lot of bases. He got 200 hits in the postseason. He got five rings. He was captain of the Yankees, an all-star every year. I mean, what do you want? I, you know, he, if, there's no, if there's no Derek Jeter in the Hall of Fame, there shouldn't be a Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I, and I feel like one of the things that we try to, as we you know pick apart the arguments in different players, we talk about how great a player was, even if he didn't have longevity. And I feel like you know the Hall of Fame is about – a great career. It's not about how great a player was necessarily, but it's about having a great career. And I don't know if you, you might disagree. Others may disagree, but um, like to me, the idea is like, who had a better career than Derek Jeter? You know, you know, all right. the years, all the hits, all the rings, nobody can match that combination of the hits and the rings. I mean, you want, you want to get a lot of hits and you want to win championships and that combination um he did better than anybody else. So while we're trying to stack guys and arrange guys in our minds of tears, I feel like, you know, not was he the better player in this group or this era, but who had a better career? And there are a lot of guys like that where I say, these guys had great careers, and that's why they're in the Hall of Fame. Right, exactly. And that's, a, that's an interesting distinction, and, and I agree with you. I, I, I play that game a lot. Like, you know, you can look at the stats and say, well, Rick Russell had more wins above replacement than John Smoltz. John Smoltz had a better career. Yeah. John Smoltz yeah. won a World Series. He won at Cy Young. Um, you know, he was a great starter, a great closer. He did memorable things. Um, and, you know, a guy like Rick Russell, whether it was circumstance or what, um, you know, he didn't have as great a career, even though his numbers, in, in one sense, um, were a little bit better. So, yeah, I mean Jeter. Jeter has it all, really, because his numbers are terrific, and he and he had the championships and the moments and the, the captain of the Yankees the mantle. Um, so he had all these great experiences. I mean, I, I was going through. I think the classic guy on this ballot who had a great career, um, but is not a Hall of Famer, is, is Paul Canerco. And I'm, you know, I I'm really surprised he has such a low wins above replacement total, twenty seven. Um, which, as I wrote, was less than Von Hayes or Rondell White yeah, or, Martin, yeah. or Martin Prado. I mean, a lot of guys who, you know, you think of Paul Canerco as better than. But, look, Paul Canerco, like, he won a championship. He, he he spent 14 or 16 years with one team. So, you know, he's got, like, the total basis record for the White Sox, who've been around forever. 
Um, you know, he hit a grand slam in the World Series. He played in a perfect game. He's got a statue of himself at the ballpark. His numbers retired. I mean, he had a terrific career. Um, but, you know, number-wise, it's, it's not going to compare to some other guys um, who maybe belong in the Hall of Fame. So I think that's a great distinction, Sweeney, of, of did you have a great career um, and how does it match up with the numbers? Um, it, it's a, it's a, you need to have a, to me, it helps. Um, and maybe you need to have a compelling story when you look at that plaque to me. I need to be able to look at that plaque and say, this guy did ABC and he was known for this and that. Um, rather than just, oh, this guy had a lot of great, great numbers. And he was, you know, he was really good. I, it's just, I like the story to go along with the plaque. Well, and, and that it's probably why I find your, um, every your day after the hall of fame ballot announced column very interesting because when you list all the candidates and this was still in the new york times from the other day uh you can find it online it's not here's how many home runs he hit here's how many years he played there are a lot of interesting stories and nuggets and vignettes in each of these i feel like everybody who gets on there um obviously played 10 years and not everybody who played 10 years um gets on the ballot so these are all guys who, who you know, had some kind of career of significance. And, um, you know, they all left their mark. I, uh, Brian Roberts, okay, made the last out of, uh, you know, the last batter at the old Yankee Stadium. He closed out a shrine of, of baseball. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, Adam Dunn hit, hit a ball to Kentucky once. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty fun. You know, Bobby Abreu, for all the great stats he had, at the end of his career, he, he played for both New York teams and both L.A. teams. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Only three other guys have done. You know, Bill Sudeikis and, and Ricky Henderson and John Candelaria. So it's just funky, fun stuff like that where they all made an impact. Uh, you hang around long enough, you're going you're gonna to do some significant things. There are two guys in the ballot that I find interesting. One has a, has a good shot to get in, uh, at least, and will be a storyline all winter. And the other probably doesn't, but... I, I love how you framed Alfonso Soriano's career. There were so many milestone moments in his career and things that told you he was a great player, but he's not a Hall of Fame player. He's not. You don't think of him as a Hall of Fame player. When you study him, he's probably not going to end up being a Hall of Fame player. But I feel like in my mind, I was trying to reach back. And, I, and the name that I came up with, I feel like he's this generation's Bobby Bonds, the combination of speed and power, a lot of strikeouts, and there are things that kind of ding his overall career to say well, he was really great, and you wonder why his career wasn't better. But when you look at it, boy, that career was really good. And now that I think about it, maybe that 30, 30, 40, 40 stuff, maybe that Bonds comparison was there when he came up, and I'm just, it's just in my subconscious. But as I look at the career, that's the first name that came up to me. That's a, that's a good one um, because they both had this great uh, talent unquestioned talent, but the things that they didn't do kind of ended up uh, sticking out. You know, both Barry, uh, Bobby Bonds and Soriano, they, they bounced around a little bit um, to different teams, and they struck out a lot. Um, but they showed you at their best uh, just a remarkable um, range of talent. And, and yeah, I mean, Soriano, he, you know, he probably peaked a little early in the sense that uh, my first year on the Yankee beat was 02, and mm-hmm. he was just amazing that yeah. year. I mean, he was one home run away from going 40-40. He led the league in, in led the majors in runs and hits and 41 homers. He hit 300. Um, but you know, Soriano suffers a little bit from, from you know, the, the, the low on base percentage because he, he rarely walked. 
So his on-base percentage is, is 319. But uh, a 500 slugging percentage is, yeah. is, is great, you know, especially for a guy who played half his career um, at second base. Um, I think you look at the Cubs' years and you say, well, yeah, he was he was sort of a, a run-of-the-middle power hitter who didn't didn't steal bases anymore and, and probably wasn't worth the uh, the money they paid him. Okay, but uh, you know, on the whole, uh, as you started by saying, all the things he did. I mean, he started started his career in Japan, which mm-hmm. was which was kind of bizarre for a player from the Dominican to start his career in Japan and come over to the Yankees. He was MVP of the first Futures game. Then he hit a grand, he hit a home run in the World Series that almost won Game Seven. Got almost went forty forty. Got traded for a Rod, MVP of the All Star game. Did go forty forty for the Nats. His one year there, mm-hmm. hundred million dollar contract with the Cubs. I mean, he had a lot of, and then he returned to the Yankees, and, and, and you know, at the very end. So, I liked him personally too. I know you did. He was mm-hmm. always a very sort of uh, good natured guy. Um, not a Hall of Famer by any means, um, but he sure did a lot. Sure packed a lot into that career. And you look, four hundred home runs and two hundred eighty nine steals yeah it's only a few guys in baseball history who can match that and they're guys like uh bonds and dawson and a-rod and beltran so uh you know and willie mays so that's a pretty good company to be in really good company i'll say um the other thing uh, the other player that jumps out and he's going to get a lot of pub uh because i think he's going to be you know so close if he doesn't get in is larry walker and the thing that has held him back it feels like is this Colorado factor, how many years he spent there and the offensive numbers he put up there. But, you know, I've been kind of fighting this battle now for the last year or two. You know, it's time to stop treating this like it's some outpost. You know, the Colorado is a real major league stadium where they play games every day, you know, half the season, obviously there. Um, They've been a real team for over 25 years. And I actually had Dan O'Dowd tell me on this podcast when the season began that, the adjustment factor the players have to go through from series to series or trip to homestand is greater than it is for any other team, and that makes it a tougher place to play, not an easier one. So these guys should be getting points for playing there, not having points taken away because we look at it as this offensive uh, juggernaut of a stadium. Uh, you know, Not everybody there puts up Hall of Fame numbers. So I feel like Larry Walker... Is getting painted with this brush a little unfairly. What do you think? I think you're right. I think it takes a while. It has taken a while, obviously, for, for voters to come around on him. He, he's still got to get another uh, probably 88 or so votes based on last year um, to to make it over the threshold. But he improved by 87 votes the year before, so it, it, it's it's not impossible. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just a you'd think like we. The Rockies have been around enough to where we could we could we could finally have a mature sort of contextualized understanding <laughs> of, of who they are. Yeah, yeah. But it feels like we're still trying to figure it out. Um, I, I feel like when you look at Walker's career splits and you see the 381 at Coors Field, 381, 462, 710, and you think, oh, well, geez, that's just cartoonish. That's not real. Um, and so then you try to deduct points so-called from from him for that it's just it 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 becomes this this sort of um mutated sort of game that you play and and i don't i don't think it's fair to larry walker i mean he was his job was to play baseball for the colorado rockies a sanctioned major league team in a ballpark 
where the games count. Right. So, I mean, what was he supposed to do? Like, yeah. not hit 380? And then he goes, you know, he, he goes on the road and he has an OPS over, uh, eight, eight, over 850 for his career, and that's, that's excellent. So, uh, you know, you look at how well-rounded he was. Um, great defensive player, a tremendous base runner, um, just, uh, you know, a, a really exciting, all-around, athletic, uh, terrific kind of player. I mean, the, the, to me, maybe the counting stats are still a little light for someone um, who, who played a lot of his career in Colorado in, in a very high offense era. You know, he only had 2,100 hits and, and 383 home runs. Um, but 313, 400, 565, career uh, yeah I, I think he with all the well-rounded aspects of his game i think he should be in and i think he will i think in the 10th year he'll get a lot of attention and a lot of people will reconsider him and uh, and come around i feel like the season that dj lemayhu had for the yankees shines a little light here because we didn't get to see walker by the time Walker left Colorado, he was no longer in his prime. DJ LeMahieu just had a phenomenal year, and you know, I remember joking at various points in the season. You know, he's hitting three thirty away from Coors Field. You know, because he's you know obviously not playing there anymore. Um, we saw a player who was regarded somewhat by this by this shadow of Coors Field and playing in that uh, atmosphere leave in still his prime years and put up a phenomenal year. And I think, you know, it's I know we can't go back and play this game, but it's it's reasonable to think that Larry Walker could still have put up really good Hall of Fame caliber seasons if he had left Coors Field in his prime. So another reason maybe this shouldn't get dinged up as much as it does. It's a good point. And and, uh, the the DJ comparison can only help him. And 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 Walker, you know, when he left Colorado, he was he was 37 years old. He he helped the uh, help the Cardinals. Uh, get to the World Series against the Red Sox, and in 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 a year and a half with Cardinals, basically 144 games, he hit 286 with a 387 on base and a 520 slugging. Yeah. So at the end of his career, he was slugging 520 for the Cardinals. He was still a, an impact player, and I suppose if he had wanted to continue playing there at 38, um, you know, he he he, he could have. Well, he would have 39 the next season. You know, he could have added to those numbers and probably got over 400 home runs and whatever, but. Um, yeah, let's let's judge him for what he did, and what he did was 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 pretty special. And he was a guy who, you know, you'd you'd want on your team, and it could do a lot of things to help you win. I feel like one of the issues that um, that comes up right now with trying to figure out the context of Hall of Fame careers is the players we're measuring them against, and by that I mean, you know. All, all the you know the black and white films of Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and everybody else are are there, and the like total composite footage that they have is relatively small. We're now trying to uh, gauge the Hall of Fame status of players who probably quite literally have every single one of their bats on video on t and was on TV when the other era of stars were not on TV all the time. And because of that, I think there's some romanticism because we don't remember seeing them strike out. We didn't count every two for 20 they went through. Um, and I feel like we do that so much with today's stars. And now you've got guys who played every single game of and every single one of their bats was on TV and broken down on replay and on baseball tonight and MLB tonight. And it feels like there's a lot of that happening as we try to distinguish the careers of the more recent players. 
Um, do you do you think that hurts in any way? Where where you know we we have snapshots of all those other great players, where we have entire volumes of material that maybe in our mind drop these guys down a peg below the greats of the uh, past eras. It could be, yeah. Um, you know, because we we think of everybody else. You know, we think of all those guys in the earlier eras as somewhat flawless. Because, yeah. You know, we remember their highlights, and that's kind of all we've seen. Um, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna see a a uh, well, I would say Willie Mays, but you know, yeah. But everybody a, points a, to '73, the World Series. He fell down twice in the World Series. Okay, that's that's all anybody ever says bad about any of these guys. You know. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we just we, we think of their highlights, and, and they're not as scrutinized. Um, you know, someone like a, a Jim Rice, sure, he played into the late 80s, and, and, and he was very much into the TV era, but, um, you know, he got in based on, you know, the, the great things that he did, and, and we don't get a chance to pick apart some of the, the flaws maybe as much as we do now. Um, but then again, you know, with everything televised, we do get to see every every bit of greatness that they have too. So um, I, I feel like a little bit like it cuts both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. Um, I got two players that I want to ask you about um, and what their impact is uh, as far as future voting goes. One of them is Andy Pettit, and he's interesting because of you know his his borderline status as far as the overall numbers he achieved and the postseason obviously has another level to it, but his, his connection to PEDs uh, certainly has a part of, of his candidacy. Um, And here's my one dilemma with this is if, and I, and everybody doesn't have a dilemma because everybody has their own values on whether or not they're, they're voting for PED guys or not. But Pettit's a guy who admitted to using it and, and he, you know, whatever his reasons were and however he came off from that, however likable he was, however he was able to get past that, beyond that, if he gets elected, if he would ever get elected to the Hall of Fame, it is an admitted and outed PED user that you are willingly admitting to the Hall of Fame. And you, that to me, that means you can't hold anybody back. So I, I wonder if we're ever going to get to the point where one guy gets in and you and, and he freely by 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 vote gets in. You now have nothing to hold back against anybody else ever connected with PEDs. Yeah, I've wondered about that. Um, I, not so much in in Pettit's case, but I've thought about well, what if some information comes out later about about someone who's already in. Mm-hmm. You can't remove the plaque from the room, um, and you can't pretend. Um, anymore that that everybody in there was pure. Um, it's yeah, it, it, it's it's tricky. Um, I think we'll see the biggest issue of that with David Ortiz comes um, comes around on the ballot because I, I think he'll get a lot of support. Um, but his you know he, he's a somewhat of a admitted PED user, kind of like he didn't know what he was doing or didn't you know all that stuff with Ortiz. Um, Andy, you know, Andy's admission was 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 very you know limited to a certain you know a brief period of time when he was coming back from an injury in '02, and I think a lot of people just associate him with Clemens and say, ah, oh, you know, it wasn't Roger, it was Andy was just going along with what Roger was doing. I don't know. I, I, I think Andy has it was one of those guys who, like we were talking about earlier, had a just a tremendous career, yeah. just a great great career, mm-hmm. and whether or not it belongs in the Hall of Fame. 
Uh, maybe it maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I think he just misses, but um he he had a much better career than a lot than most Hall of Famers, I would say, really, when you think about um, you know, five championships and getting to pitch in what was it, eight World Series? Um that yeah, eight World Series that he pitched in and, and winning twenty a couple times and just doing so many great things, two hundred and fifty six wins, hundred games over five hundred. Um but yeah, I mean, some, sometimes someone will get in there, and, and it'll come out later that they were doing sure. PEDs, or the voters will will put in someone, um, and then it'll be much much harder to keep anybody out. Um, my, you do though have to make distinctions, and and and, and my distinction, and I've heard some other people say it too, is whether or not the guy ever served a suspension for it. Um, you know, whether he was ever not sanctioned to play Major League Baseball because of. PEDs, and now you could say some guys got away with it, or, or they were doing it in the era before testing or whatever. Well, the, baseball, the game didn't care enough about it back then to uh, to, to to put testing in, to fight for it, and, and make it happen. Um, so, to me, I, I I I can only go on the results that we saw on the field. And if if you were once you're off the field um, because of it, like Manny Ramirez has been, and A Rod, and Palmero. Um, then it's a different story. But Pettit, Clemens, Bonds, uh, Sheffield, you know, all those guys, like uh, they, nothing ever kept them off the field um, because of PEDs. So I, I, I wouldn't consider it. There's one other uh, thing about I want to ask you about. You and I were both in Cooperstown last summer uh, for the inductions of Mariano Rivera and Mike Messina. And along with them were guys that came in on the last uh, Veterans Committee selection, including Harold Baines and Lee Smith. Now, they've touched off a different kind of debate because there are a number of players who uh, forget about the idea, were they better? What What we said earlier on, did they have better careers? There are a lot of players who had better careers. And this year's Veterans Ballot has a lot of those guys. Don Mattingly, Dale Murphy, Dave Parker, Steve Garvey, um, Dwight Evans. You know, there's a lot of these guys on there, Thurman Munson, who can make their case now. Um, do you like that? I mean, I think the, I think you, know, you and I both saw what it meant to Lee Smith and to Harold Baines and what the weekend meant and, and really how it changed their lives. And I'm not saying everybody deserves to be in the Hall of Fame because it means a lot to them, but, you know, it seems that, you know, we have now created more room for more stars of, especially of that era that seems to be underrepresented. I know you've talked about that a lot. Um, what do you think about the idea of now kind of, you know, I don't know if overpopulating is the right word, but maybe market correcting for all the guys who didn't get in before? I think market correcting is, is a good is a good way to put it um, because I, I feel like the the writers and 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 certainly the the old timers committees were you know pretty stingy um, for a long time and and I think we're seeing a little bit of a change in that these veterans committees are now um, in the business of admitting guys rather than keeping guys out. I think the 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 pretty accurate perception for a long time was that you know these guys didn't want anybody else in their club. <laughs> right, um, right. But I think now they look at it and they say, well, you know, this guy, this guy does belong in here because of this and that. It's still hard. I mean, you still have these, these you still got to get 25 percent uh, of the 16 man committee and they're not allowed to vote for more than four. Um, so it's 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 though every vote is, is precious in, in that room. Um, but 
I think when you look at how Baines got in last year, it, it was he had some advocates in the room mm-hmm. with Larusa and and uh, Reinsdorf, yep. and that was obviously important. And they really, really um, prized his longevity and uh, you know his his accomplishments. And and you look at Lee Smith, who did the same thing. Lee Smith pitched forever, and he had you know he he had four hundred seventy eight saves, and Harold Baines played forever, and he had 2,800 hits. Um, so baseball people love longevity because it means that you, you know, you stayed in there. Um, you know, you, you, you put in the time, um, you know, a long time in, in, in the club. Um, that means something. So I feel like the guys who had the, had the longevity on this ballot um, probably have a good chance. I think Dwight Evans, actually, if you, if you parse the numbers and, and you – not consider how great he was defensively, and you, you he, his numbers in the '80s stack up really, really well. I mean, you can say he had the most. I think he had the most extra base hits in the '80s. Um, he was second to Ricky Henderson in runs in the '80s. You know, stuff like that. I think. Um, so I think that may carry a lot of weight in that room. Um, but a lot of it depends on the makeup. We don't know exactly who those voters are going to be. If you see someone who is going to advocate for, for someone passionately, the way. Larusa and Reinsdorf did last year with Baines. Um, it'll mean a lot. I don't think it'll change the writers, the way the writers vote, because I don't think the writers in general consider Baines uh, worthy of the Hall of Fame since they only gave him like 6% or whatever it was when he was on the ballot. Um, but I think certainly in the Veterans Committee, that the precedent will definitely be a big thing. Like, hey, well, well last year we, we said that Harold Baines was a Hall of Famer. So is this guy better than Harold Baines? I think that's going to come up quite a bit. You know, we seem to take a lot of fun out of this, or at least, you know, it, it, it tends to uh, the arguments that people have nowadays around this um, tend to tend to drag some of the fun out of it. But as I said, you and I were both at the inductions last summer um, and we've been through the museum before a number of times. There's still a lot of fun associated with the Hall of Fame, what it means, walking through there and seeing these things. Th- this is something that every fan should experience, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's just, it's just no place like it. Part of it is the setting, the fact that you have to make a pilgrimage to get there. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's so bucolic and, and just a beautiful old fashioned American town. Um, and that kind of goes with our idealized vision of, of baseball. It's, it's, uh, they do such a great job preserving the history and telling a story through the artifacts. Um, that room is is it. You, you very much have a, a a religious kind of feeling when you're walking through those the hall of plaques. You know, it, it's very sort of quiet and and uh, solemn with with a with the high ceilings and everything. And, and it's sort of a time for reflection. And, and and you don't hear a lot of hear a lot of noises in there. You just you're just reading and, and just taking it all in. <laughs> um, the the library there. I've done uh, research there many times and, and it's tremendous um you know anything you ever want to find out you can find out there i love it i mean i i i, I feel myself um you know pulled up to cooperstown um you know quite a bit it's uh it's a really really special place i can't emphasize that enough yeah go go see it if you haven't and uh go back uh if you have because they're always updating it and coming up with fun new ways i mean look 
Howie Kendrick hits that home run in Game Seven of the World Series off the foul pole, yeah. um, and they go collect the ball, and the ball's got the yellow paint <laughs> on it um, from from the right field foul pole. And that'll be there for his, you know, through history, and that'll be there to see. Oh yes, that's where that ball hit the foul pole, and that's how close um, that that hit was to you know the, to changing history there for the Washington Nationals. So um, yeah, it's 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 the best. My thanks to Tyler Kepner, who was a two-time guest on this podcast in 2019. Earlier this summer, we discussed his best-selling book, K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. And it is still available wherever you buy books and available in time for the holidays. If you've missed any of our conversations like that one or more recent ones like one I had with Ron Swoboda on the 69 Mets or Rick Peterson, the former Mets and A's pitching coach on the state of pitching, and pitching coaches in 2019, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive on radio.com, Apple podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.